This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. The next time the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, everybody. It's fun to be back. Scoop, duck, and hi-fi. I'm sorry I keep saying it's good to be back, fun to be back as many times as I have this year. I I promise the next time we talk, it's not going to be like a month or two months. It's not going to be like an eternity like it's been. It's just been the craziest summer I think either of us have had in a very long time. I'm Matt Bagley from 96.1 and 580 The Game in Southern Oregon. I'm joined across the interwebs by Justin Hopkins from, well, I don't really quite know how to say this. I used to say Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. Your site got bought. I'm going to pepper you with questions about that, my friend. But first, how do I address you? Are you Justin Hopkins from On3? Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck? What, what are you now? You know, I I, uh, I feel very strongly that, uh, you know, it, uh, as long as Scoop Duck is around and kicking, that I'm I'm J-Hop from Scoop Duck. You know, that's, uh, you know, we are fortunate to be part uh, of the On3 network now, which, uh, you know, is, is in the infant stage. We're, we're one of, I think, seven or eight sites. I know that it's not. Uh, you know, up to the the size of twenty four seven sports at the at the moment, but it will get there, and it will get there rapidly. And the cool part is, is that Scoop Duck retains the name. Uh, I'm still in charge. It's still my site. Um, uh, the way the way I see it is, I've I've taken on a uh, a partial partner that uh, happens to be really good at, in getting. Uh, you know, your stuff Google, uh, indexed on Google, um, advertising revenue, all these other things that they do a really, really good job of that, frankly, I don't. And, uh, you know, what that means is, you know, sure, there might be a few more ads here and there or, or this and that, but it's going to allow Scoop Duck to grow. It's going to allow us to have uh, more income to be able to hire more staff uh, and continue to evolve. So we'll be Scoop Duck. I'm still J-Hop from Scoop Duck. It's still my baby. I still make all the decisions. I still control what the content is. I still, uh, you know, control the direction of the site. It's it's all me. It's just uh, we are fortunate that when On3 puts out its database here in just a few weeks, uh, we'll have a full-fledged database that's absolutely, absolutely sick. Uh, lots of bells and whistles. We've got some great writers. We've got we got all the things that we didn't have and. Uh, you know, and and we're still Scoop Duck, so yeah. pretty excited about that. I know people have kind of caught on by now because you and I are, are are a couple weeks behind getting this podcast, which is one of the uh, the byproducts of the move. But uh, I, I'm just I couldn't be more excited about the direction of the site and the fact that it will still be Scoop Duck and it's still going to be my baby and it's still going to be super awesome. Yeah, yeah, I know you've been busy as heck with the overhaul and. I just came back from my honeymoon and getting married this summer, so it's been a busy summer for us. Um, you mentioned the transition. It It's an issue basically where the podcast is too big for the site. So on the old Scoop Duck site, you would post the audio of the podcast, 
and then that RSS feed link would get shot out of a cannon to iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and TuneIn and Spotify and every podcast app on the planet. Uh, if you Google Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi podcast name, you'll find like 40 different links to all these different like podcatcher sites. Anyway, since it's a new site, we couldn't just use that link or we thought we couldn't just use that link uh and uh, and keep the thing rolling so we kind of had to reinvent the wheel a little bit that took a little bit of time we're back today um that little ramble of mine out of the way i love that you mentioned hey i got a new benefactor and i i have all the same freedom to write what i want to write and make my site juicy and and give Duck fans, all the insights they need to know, but this guy's really good at sales and revenue because you're not. And and I laugh because I'm not either. I hate that side of the business. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I consider myself a writer and, you know, sometimes I just want to, you know, I just want to sit on my computer and write a couple stories a day and call it good. But unfortunately, when you own the site, as I still do, you don't get to do that. You know, I'm I've been pretty busy on the back end, uh, you know, working with these guys, getting some bugs worked out, uh, you know, trying to get new features added to the site, trying to get the, the forums tweaked. Uh, honestly, trying to figure out how I'm going to get paid <laughs> because I haven't haven't gotten paid yet, which is it is uh, it, it's just a matter of, of getting everything handled. It's. You know, it's all that kind of stuff, making sure that, you know, Jared's on task and doing the things that, that we need for the site and being efficient in his work. Um, you know, we've got Joel, who's doing a terrific job. You know, as we've added the staff, it adds to, to, to my plate, making sure these guys are, you know, getting the content we need and getting, getting it up in a timely manner. And, uh, and I'm okay with all that. It's just a lot of different hats. And, uh, you know, we, I, I'm not going to lie, we had it, we had it pretty good. Uh, with Scoop Duck, you know, being part of F5, everything, had, you know, after five years, it was kind of on cruise control. You know, every, you know, we, I don't like change. It, I, you know, most people don't like change. I don't like change. You know, it was easy. Just for example, the podcast, you and I had our routine down, do the podcast. You know, I throw it up on the site. It went everywhere. It was easy. I was done. I frank, quite frankly, don't know how this one's going to work out, but we'll, we'll work through it and we'll make improvements along the way and it will only get better. Um, but yeah, it's just all those little things, and uh, you know, long term, this is going to be a, a, a an awesome move for the site, for the for the uh, for the subscribers. All of it's going to be great, but it's going to take a little bit of growing pains, and I'm fully aware of that. And uh, I'm just trying to work through them, and I appreciate everyone's patience as we do work through them because that's the that's the end result. I don't mind that there's some things that need to be tweaked or fixed that aren't working right or whatever. It's, you know, it, it's, it's up to me to make sure that they do get fixed, and we're doing that every single day. Yeah. Hey, I, I know people want to hear us talk about the big game this weekend in Columbus, and I promise we'll get to that because I want to talk about it. I know you want to talk about it, but we haven't talked since you got this new site. So I have one more question. I know we've talked about this on my radio show before. You have worked at ESPN. You've worked at 24-7. You've done the independent thing. Now you're back under another umbrella. What makes this new on three scoop duck site different from what else is out there right now? You know, I, <clears throat> I think 
after working, it's it's funny. That's a good, great question. And it's funny when you've worked in all these different fashions where I've simply just been a contributor to a site. You know, I've been a, a writer. Uh, now I own my own site. And, you know, you look at like, you look at rivals and you look at 24-7 sports. And there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, you're really running a site for somebody else. So, you know, uh, we're an Oregon podcast, so I'll just, you know, with Duck Territory, you know, the the, the guys there that contribute and, and do their job are doing a job. They don't really own the site. You know, they're, they're, they're working for 24-7 sports and, and trying to produce a product. And, and this is not me picking on them, by the way. I'm just right. using them because most people will, will know who I'm talking about. Um, with Scoop Duck, I own it. I still own it. Uh, I'm part of on three. So really you're going to get all the, all the, all the benefits, uh, working for F5 was great, but it had its challenges. You know, the database was pretty antiquated. Um, if I needed help, like on Facebook, or if I needed help, uh, trying to index things on Google better, just so that our, you know, we were seen by more viewers, it wasn't a lot of help by way of that. And, that's not a bad thing. It's just one of the byproducts of it. This really is, I think, very unique and the first time that you're ultimately kind of blending the two. This is kind of like F5 on steroids. You know, you're you're still going to maintain a lot of your independence. I still own the site. It's still under my direction. I still am fairly compensated for the success of this site. And that's really the most critical component in my mind, not because I want to get rich. I'm simply saying that, you know, by me investing more of my time and by me investing, you know, my heart and soul and my tears and my sweat into this, I'm directly rewarded for it. And that's a hundred percent still the case with on three. When you work for, let's say 24 seven sports at whatever site, you're working for somebody else. And by and large, if that site is really successful, you see very little of that success for yourself, you know, and that's the reality. That's, I understand that's business. That's how business works. So I'm not picking on anybody, anybody upset that that's how business works. Go start your own business because that's what we get to do in this great country. I'm still directly rewarded. That's why I'll always invest my blood and, and, and sweat and tears. That's why I give out my email address. That's why I give out my te- my uh, my phone number when needed. That's why I try and really make sure that customer service is a focal point of what I do. I'm directly rewarded for that. But on the same hand, I've now taken on these super partners that that do get a little bit of it now. And in return, the goal is that, you know, we make this into it. Uh, I mean, we supercharge this sucker, you know, we're going to be, you know, on three is going to carry a lot of weight in this industry, uh, you know, just as 24 seven has done in about a a 10 year span on three, we'll get there as well, probably even quicker. They'll learn from the the mistakes and the successes of 24 seven sports and adjust that with on three because it's the same guys at the end of the day, it's the same guys. Um, That's the long and the short of it. I don't even know if I answered your question right or not, but I think the most important part here that people are losing sight of is the fact that just because we're with on three, just because Shannon Terry is involved, just because of these other things, it's still J-Hop's site. I'm still the one that directly benefits from the success of this site. And therefore, it will always have my stamp on it. And, you know, the, the things that need to get improved or the things that are going really well, 
you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to see those things and make and make the adjustments and and I'm I'm a pretty I know I, I keep saying it, but I'm just so dang excited of, of what this thing's going to look like in the next two years. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, my father works in the software industry, so I, I know firsthand there's nothing more exciting than a startup. And that's basically what this is right now. It's it's a startup. You talk about supercharge. I think we've already seen that. You went out and got a beat writer in Jared Denny, who is at practice every freaking day now. You went out and got a guy that's written novels, so you know he can write long form and really get to the heart and soul of the program and Joel Gunderson. And then you still got all that scoops and juice and, and recruiting stuff that, that you've made your bones with. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, we still got this podcast, so I think it's, uh, it's going to go pretty well. Real quick, I want to look back at the Fresno State game. Like, yeah. it's, it's late in the week, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I don't think that performance was good enough to match up with Ohio State on Saturday. How do you feel about what you saw? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's no doubt about that. I, I, uh, you know, two things. I don't think, I don't think Ohio State put on such a show that they earned the label unbeatable. Now, if Oregon was say to face Alabama in week two, (laughs) you know, Alabama looked really good. They didn't skip a beat. No chance. You know, yeah, 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 no chance. I didn't see that from Ohio State. I did see a team that's pretty suspect in the secondary. Uh, I did see a team that, you know, does look like they might leave some points on the field. They seemed really boom or bust on offense, which isn't a bad thing. They had some huge plays. Uh, you know, I thought Minnesota did a pretty dang good job keeping them bottled up for a while, uh, reasonably. Uh, and then the, and then they got it going. But Ohio State has holes of its own. Um, you know, I think both teams, you know, obviously had this week's game circled. I'm sure that both coaching staffs and players uh, probably overlooked their week one opponents to a degree. Uh, you know, I know the coaches get out there and say, oh, no, all eyes are on Minnesota or all eyes were on Fresno State or whatever. That's not true. You can't, you're not going to convince me that that's true. I mean, with the performances that we saw from both teams, you know, it's clear that they kept it as vanilla as they could. I think both teams, Oregon and Ohio State, were forced to open things up a little bit more in the second half than they were hoping to. I think for Oregon specifically with what we saw with Fresno State, I think I think the one of the things that, that we failed to talk about is, A, Fresno State's a good team. They return a lot of guys. Yes. They return a lot of guys already, so they had a leg up there. They had already played their first game, which really helps them a lot. And don't kid yourselves, they definitely circled this game on their calendar. They had Oregon circled on their calendar. And so Oregon got Fresno State's best shot i would assume and it showed they played a really good game they stuck to the game plan uh you know i think that fresno state probably felt that oregon would come out vanilla and i think that they look to exploit that i think that they they forced oregon's hand to make changes at halftime to make some adjustments and 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 credit oregon for doing that i i know it wasn't pretty but they still got the win which is more than we could say for washington uh, and I think you had a week of practice here that the Ducks, you know, said, all right, here's what we need to fix. Here's what didn't work. Here's what we got on tape. Uh, let's go out there and make some noise. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Oregon's going to have to play a really, really good football game. But again, I don't think Ohio State is unbeatable by any stretch. Yeah, a couple points there that I really agree with. One is Fresno State 
is no slouch. Like, I, I said this on my radio show the whole month leading up to that game. On paper, Oregon's always going to win that one. On paper, the Pac-12 team is always going to beat the WAC or the Mountain West team. They're always going to have that advantage, uh, not even just from a recruiting standpoint, but from a coaching standpoint. You have a bigger budget. You're going to have a better coaching staff. And from a facility standpoint, the Pac-12 team should always win. So I had no doubt Oregon would win that game, but I... I was really impressed with the caliber of that Fresno State team. Like, if you're one of those programs, you might get blown out in that WAC versus Pac-12 or Mountain West versus Pac-12 game every year. But once every three or four years, you're going to have a roster that can hang with that better team for four quarters. And I think Fresno State had that roster. Shoot, ask the ask the folks in Seattle if they would have rather had Jake Hayner under center and purple and gold on Saturday night. Like, he was he was yeah. making some good throws at Autzen. He was keeping Fresno State in that game. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great point. You know, I mean, we heard, uh, you know, we heard a lot about Dylan Morris coming out of Seattle, and I think some of us Oregon fans at least had reservations about that. I think you, you watch Hayner and the way he played, you think, man, that guy – guy's just kind of a gamer just kind of like uh all right i'm i'm gonna be back here you know my my coaching staff that was a thing fresno state coaching staff did a really good job of sticking to a game plan that fit his strengths they didn't ask him to push the ball downfield very much they kept it in a pretty tight window you know five six seven yards uh, a lot of easy you know tight ends or or slot receivers that just kind of slipped uh, into that linebacker area. The linebackers have struggled in coverage dating back to last season. That's something that's been ongoing last season and this season. There's, I don't know if it's the handoffs. I don't know if it's communication. I don't, I don't know, but there's a disconnect there. I think Fresno State saw that from, you know, it was obviously it was the shortened season last year, but that, that was apparent. I think they saw that stuck to that game plan and give Hayner a lot of credit. He, I, I thought after the first quarter, I thought for sure there's no way that guy was finishing the game. He took some vicious hits. He got his ass handed to him, uh, but he kept getting up. He kept making plays. He he scrambled just enough to keep the play alive. He'd get the ball out quick. Um, you couldn't ask for anything more, and, and I think you make a great point. You know, those Fresno State guys, um, you know, that's, that's an experienced group, and, and it wasn't just that they'd already played a game. You know, they returned a lot of guys that have played a lot of snaps and a lot of games. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important. I think the other thing that's also really important to, to mention is that Kalen DeBoer is one of the hotter names as a coach out there. And I think he really showed why on Saturday. I think he stuck to a tight game plan. I think it was well executed. Um, it's almost one of those things where you're Fresno State and you're playing Oregon. It's like, hey, we're going to shoot our shot. This is either going to go awesome or it's going to go really bad, but we're going to shoot our shot and we're going to stick to it. And and they did, and it almost worked out. And uh, I think that says a lot about that coach and that coaching staff uh, and the way they got their team prepared. And, and again, um, you know, you know, Oregon struggled. I think it was really vanilla. I think they can play better this week. They're going to have to play better this week. Um, and I'm like everybody else. I'm I'm freaking jacked to see this game in Columbus. I think I think it. I think and in my heart of hearts, I think it's going to be a close game and a fun game. Uh, I'm just hoping that that is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Kalen DeBoer, a 
three-time NAIA national champion, by the way, if you're one of those small college football geeks like me out in the world. Um, the other point that I really agree with that you said about that Oregon-Fresno State game and about week one and, and looking ahead to week two in Columbus is if you watched Ohio State beat Minnesota in that Thursday opener, Minnesota's game plan I think is workable. Like, Ohio State is not at the same level of Bama or or arguably Georgia after what I saw on Saturday night. Ohio State is a team that if you come out with a perfect game plan, I think you can hang with them. Like, like Minnesota, what I, what I loved about what the Golden Gophers did in their opener was they just ran a bevy of inside zone with a veteran running back with Muhammad Ibrahim and they trusted him to pick the right lane. And I think Oregon can play that way. We've seen this offensive line plow open holes for C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, and Anthony Brown. And we know that all three of those guys can run really effectively, really smartly with the football in their hands. So I, I think that you can, you can at least borrow the Minnesota game plan and see if that works. And then you can try to sprinkle in, um, you know, what, what makes that Oregon team so much better than Minnesota. The fact that you have a couple playmaking wideouts, the fact that you have a, a terror in pass rush, if he's healthy, that you have two linebackers that are studs that can clean up everything inside the box and that you have some really smart safeties coming back with experience that, that hopefully should help tighten up your coverage. Um, I think Ohio State should be favored on Saturday, and, and I have them favored to win on Saturday. But I, I don't think this is going to be a blowout loss for Oregon either. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, obviously I posted um, my prediction already on the site, so which makes it a little bit easier here. Uh, that you know, you and I could talk about it, and I don't don't feel like I'm I'm giving up anything. But uh, you know, I I, I predicted a, a close loss for Oregon. Um, I still feel pretty. I don't want to say strongly. I do I do feel like that's a fair. Um, you know, I do feel like that's a fair score. I do feel like yeah, I think that Oregon. I don't want to say they have to play perfect but they're going to have to play a pretty clean game and they're going to probably need to have a little bit of luck uh, bounce their way in order for them to win this game. And, and the reason that is almost exclusively to me is the fact that this is a road game. And I, I, my biggest question mark is how well this team performs on the road. They weren't especially strong. Uh, they really, they haven't been especially strong on the road the last two years uh, as a team. Now, of course, players have changed. Coaches have come and gone. I know it's different, but for whatever reason, that has somewhat plagued uh, this team. And I think that this being the first game uh, on the road, 100,000 crowd, you know, I think that that really forces the issue for Oregon. I do believe that if this game was in Autzen Stadium, I, I'd, I'd have a really tough time picking against Oregon here. I think, it, I, 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 and I'm not saying it'd be a blowout. I'm just saying I think that that's the neutral, uh, the kind of the equalizer, uh, if you will, in this. And uh, and again, I predicted Ohio State would win 41 to 34. I believe I know that Oregon fans would like to win this game, but I believe that if 
Sunday comes and, you know, people look at the box score and see Ohio State 41, Oregon 34. No matter how the game was played, I think most fans will, will be okay with that. So uh, what, what we can't afford to see and what Mario Cristobal can't afford to see is that this team gets shellacked 45 to 10. Uh, and then there's a ton of question marks after the after Ohio State and after the performance against Fresno State. That's that's worst case scenario right there. And and again, I do think it'll be close. I'm hoping it's close. Um, I think the one thing that you mentioned uh, that I took away from the Minnesota game with Ohio State is it seems as though they were intent. And, and we've seen this against Oregon a lot. So I'm going to use it because it makes sense here. They were intent on taking the air out of the football, as Mario Cristobal would say, which means they wanted to run the ball a lot. They wanted to control the clock. They wanted to keep Ohio State's offense on the sidelines as much as possible. I fully believe that that's something that Oregon needs to do and have success doing. The most dangerous thing for Oregon is seeing Ohio State's offense on the field, seeing them score in quick two, three play situations and then getting forced off the field in a three and out and putting that Ohio State offense right back out there on the field. Oregon gets behind by by 10, 14, 20 points, whatever the case might be early, and this game gets out of hand in a hurry. So I think you do need to do, you know, a little bit of what Minnesota did, which is, again, kind of taking that air out of the football. Let's hold on to it. Let's get seven, eight, nine, ten play drives. Let's try and take five minutes off the clock. Let's give our defense a break, and let's keep C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave on the sidelines as long as possible. I think that is a way for Oregon to remain in this game in the second half. If you're able to, and you get to the second half, and you decide, hey, let's open things up a little bit more, and let's 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 go for the kill shot here. I think that that's a reasonable game plan. But again, if Oregon gets behind uh, by a big amount of points early this game could get ugly quickly. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, miraculously, we managed to go 25 minutes without me asking you about Anthony Brown. Um, but but I think that this is a really good stepping point to that conversation because I agree with you. It's, it's all about manageable down and distance to me. He's not a guy that I trust in third and long or second and long. But if C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye are still getting whatever they want on the ground, I think about the, the fourth quarter against Fresno State where, give credit to Joe Moorhead and Mario Cristobal, they kept calling runs even though the game got tight. And Verdell and Dye made them look like geniuses because they were popping off eight or nine yards a run every time they got the football. Uh, if Oregon's running like that, then I think Anthony Brown can manage the offense and move the chains. If you're not running effectively on first down and you're forced into second and long and third and long and you're forced into, say, it's a two-score game and you're trying to play catch-up, that's where I think Oregon's really hamstrung. Yeah, it. it uh, I, I think this is where Oregon, and in relation to Anthony Brown, I think this is where Oregon really needs to take a page out of Fresno State's playbook and identify, you know, Oregon needs to identify what I would say are the five or six plays that they run effectively. And, and I mean they as an, as an entire unit. I think you have limitations on the offensive line and what they can effectively do. I'm not saying it's a bad unit. You just don't have Panay Sewell out there. You don't have Calvin Throckmorton out there. You don't have Shane Lemieux out there. I think you have a, a, a little bit lower grade of an offensive line. Doesn't mean they're bad. 
I think they do some things really well. And I think you need to maximize though, maximize those. And you really need to stick to their strengths. Uh, Anthony Brown, I feel very much the same way. Anthony Brown, I've always felt is, and is before Fresno state isn't a guy that'll go out there and win the football game for you. I think he can do some nice things with his legs. I like the dimension that that adds to the offense, but it's pretty clear that he has limitations in the passing game. So you've got to really look to minimize those. I don't, know what it is i don't pretend to be an offensive coordinator like joe moorhead but that's why these guys are paid a lot you figure that out and you know uh, like remember the titans what does he say we, we're going to run three or four plays and we're going to run them like novocaine and that's all we're going to do you know we're just going to we're going to be really 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 freaking good at them and and i think that that's what oregon needs to do it doesn't mean it's you know it's it's dive right dive left and and you know quick screen you can do some very simple variations out of those four or five plays that make the defense think it doesn't just have to be the same play ran the exact same way but my point is i don't think you can go out there with this expansive playbook uh and look to pass the ball downfield on first and second down and then hope you're going to be able to run your way out of it on third and eight because you couldn't get the 10 yards uh that's just not going to set this offense up for success so i i do i did i think you're right i think you make it a lot of a good points I think for Oregon, uh, finding those plays that work, finding those plays that, because again, it, it seems as though the receivers are still having some issues getting consistent separation. Uh, you know, so you got to figure out ways to get those guys in space a little bit, get them matchup mishaps, figure out how to get your tight ends out in space and allow them to just pick up four and five yards. One of my keys to the game was, Oregon having first down success in this game. I think that that's absolutely critical paramount. There might not be one more element that's more important in this game than Oregon having first down success. And it, it, I don't care what the play is. I don't care if it's a run. I don't care if it's three yards, four yards, five yards, but they need to, they need to have some success on first down that sets them up in a second and seven or a second and five type of situation that keeps your playbook open at that point and allows you to pick from those four or five plays that you do really well. When Oregon, you know, becomes single dimensional, uh, and if they're constantly looking at at third and nine or third and 14, because there was a false start or whatever the case might be, they're in trouble and they're not going to win this football game if that happens. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you the ESPN first take, hot take question, Brown or Thompson. I'll, I'll kind of ask it in a different way. Because I get the sense that you feel there's still a, a formula out there for Oregon to follow where they can win with Anthony Brown. At what point in that game would they need to abandon Anthony Brown? I don't know that there is a point. And I do recognize by me saying that it, it's kind of a unequivocal statement, and, and that's not fair. Uh, it's going to be pretty far down the line. I think – if you're Mario Cristobal, so we got to look at this in big picture, okay? So, the, and, and the question you asked is a great question, but the question that you asked is a small picture question, which is, okay, if we get to the third quarter and we haven't moved the ball well, do we make a change at quarterback? Well, I know that the fans on the message board will call for that. I know the guys on Twitter will pound their keyboards saying, put Ty Thompson in. If you do that, you've, 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 you've gone from trying to, create uh, from trying to fix a small picture problem and now you've created a large picture problem because once you've made that decision 
you're either basically saying we don't have any trust in you, Anthony Brown, and you've got to decide that you're never going back to Anthony Brown and you're riding Ty Thompson out the rest of the season and you're going to get the peaks and the valleys that a true freshman quarterback is going to give you, which is there's a reason he's not starting here, people. I know Ty Thompson flashes a ton of potential. I think he's going to be a tremendous quarterback for the next couple of years at this program. I don't, he's obviously not there yet, or he would have been starting week one, in my opinion. If it was if it was that crystal clear, Ty Thompson would have started against Fresno State. I still think that Anthony Brown probably gives this team the best chance to win. He's probably Oregon's most consistent quarterback, which doesn't mean he's the best, but he doesn't have these huge peaks and valleys, so you can probably survive a football game with that. I like the fact that having Ty Thompson as a as a viable backup or Jay Butterfield or whoever the staff deems is the next man up means that you can run Anthony Brown a little bit more. And I think that's super valuable to this offense, having the ability to run him and use his his legs as a threat in the offense probably adds a dimension. You know, like I said, I think you scale down the offense, you run four, five, six plays. But the good part is when your quarterback can run, it still has to keep the defense honest. So I think there is that element. Um, I don't think there is a point where you pull Anthony Brown out of this game. Um, I'm sure it could get really bad, and I'm sure that Joe Moorhead and Mario Cristobal might have a conversation on, uh, you know, on the headset during the game about that. But it opens up a pretty big can of worms for this team. It shows that you know, you're going to cripple Anthony Brown's confidence the rest of the way if you make that move. Uh, and if Ty Thompson comes in and doesn't play really well, then you have a problem the rest of the season and you have a quarterback controversy. And I continue to hear one thing that I think is really smart. Uh, you know, guys will talk about if you if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And, and I think that that's a reasonable statement. If you're if you're constantly juggling between quarterbacks, nine out of ten times, you're setting up your offensive team for failure. And I think that that's something that Mario Cristobal is desperately trying to avoid. I think the important part for this team, and I think the important part for this team coming out of Fresno State, was to continue to show Anthony Brown they had confidence in him, continue to show Anthony Brown that he's the guy, continue to show Anthony Brown that he has what it takes to be the quarterback at Oregon. I think if they do those things, I think he can get there and be a good enough quarterback. But the minute any of those things are on shaky ground, He's lost his confidence, and like I said, I think if, or, if Oregon starts to say, well, we got two quarterbacks, well, I don't think you have two quarterbacks in that case. I think you're in a, in a you're very much in a, a, a dire situation at that point. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that expression, and I think Duck fans can relate to it pretty easily because instantly I thought about that Vernon Adams-Jeff Lockie year. Some years you just – you don't go into the season like of course we know VA is is a beast and what he's done in the CFL is incredible but going into that Adams Lockie year it was genuinely a toss up of who would be the better starter yeah no it was and i and i think to your point was the the Dakota Prukop you know Justin Herbert debacle as well yeah. you know you 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 stuck with Prukop cuz he was the proven guy uh you know it was the problem there was now the difference there was we heard chatter about Justin Herbert in fall camp and you had some receivers. I think it was Dylan Mitchell, if I remember right, being pretty vocal about the fact that they weren't on board with Dakota Prukop. And so you had a little bit of division from within there. I think it's important that this team continues to stay behind Anthony Brown. 
uh, as long as it's as long as they can. And I think that's a big difference there. And and the minute that you start entertaining that you might start Ty Thompson or that, you know, if you go to practice and, and suddenly the, the first team reps are 50 50 um, again, that means that unequivocally there's almost zero doubt in your mind that Ty Thompson's the guy and that he can lead this team the rest of the season. Cause if you make that move and it fails, uh, don't forget you got another eight, nine, 10 games, whatever the case might be left to play. And you've now probably got some division in your locker room, which is a horrible thing. Yeah. I think that's a good point. You mentioned about the locker rooms voice in all of this, because you know, Oregon has repeatedly had a pretty vocal locker room over the years. Like that situation, Herbert versus Prukop, the guys wanted Herbert, as they should. And then I think about Mario Cristobal just getting the head coaching job. The, the biggest endorsement he got wasn't from Phil Knight. It was from the Oregon locker room, right? Players came out and said, we want Coach Cristobal. Um I, I, I'm not inside that locker room every day like, like Jared Denny is, and I'm not plugged in with the coaching staff all the time like you are, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying after watching the press conferences that the players give and, and I think about that podcast Verone McKinley did this week on uh, Rob Mosley's pod, Mighty Oregon, where he always gets a, an Oregon athlete. Um Verone McKinley talking to Anthony Brown for like 30 minutes and and they they sound like they're best friends I I have to think if the locker room wasn't behind Anthony Brown it would feel different it it feels like they have his back and and they're willing to go to battle with him Saturday in Columbus well I I believe that too I think you're right Matt and I think everything we continue to hear I think Micah Pittman was another one this week that said he was still, you know, 100% behind Anthony Brown. I think it's, I think that that is a truly important element here that these guys continue, you know, to say that because uh, let's face it, I mean, quarterbacks are, the, the, I mean, they're a shaky group already. You know, their yeah. their confidence is is easily rattled. You know, it's kind of like a a a, a relief, uh, you know, a reliever or a closer in pitching. You know, their confidence is easily rocked and. You know, I think it's important, you know, that these guys continue to show support for Anthony Brown. Um, I think that will pay dividends. And I think that, you know, it is the best thing for the offensive unit. Now, again, you know, Ty Thompson has a ton of upside, but I think, you know, going back to what I've heard and kind of what we've seen, I think from a consistency standpoint, he's not there yet. You don't get, you know, you don't get Ty Thompson, the elite quarterback on every single uh, drive on every single play. Right. It, do you get that from Anthony Brown? By no means do you get that by, from Anthony Brown. But I think the level of consistency, you know, if if you guys could see my hands, you know, I got my hands in the middle for Ty Thompson. I've got a little higher for Anthony Brown in terms of the level of consistency. And I think that that's important because secondly, I also think it's important because the offensive line uh, isn't all that consistent as well. And I think that that's something that's, that's plagued them. You, you see them uh, do some things really well on some of the successful run plays. And then there's some of the passing plays where there's a lot of breakdowns. And again, if you have your quarterback being inconsistent and your offensive line is inconsistent, well, you've got a pretty messy offense at that point. I, you you got to figure out a way to level it off at some point if you're Mario Cristobal. And again, 
I guess I guess we'll see if they've managed to do that this weekend uh, in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah, Ducks and Buckeyes uh, coverage starts bright and early, 7 a.m. on Oregon radio affiliates. Um, that means uh, 95.3 in Eugene, 1080 The Fan in Portland. Uh, my friendly confines, 99.5 FM, 880 AM KCMX in the Rogue Valley. And uh, I, I want to say 12.40 in the Klamath Basin and, and uh, you know, obviously a few more out east if you live in, like, LeGrand or Pendleton. Kickoff at 9, uh, big noon kickoff on Fox. Um, before we get into five games and, and before we you know get into lock of the week and wrap the show, I'm curious, since we didn't do five games last week, I, I'm just curious what you thought about that college football slate. Oh, man, that was, that was freaking awesome, dude. I was, I was like a kid in a candy shop, man. I just I kept... It, it was overload. I kept bouncing around to all these games, you know, and I thought, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I thought that that was one of the better uh, opening weekend slates of college football that I can recall in the last several years. Uh, you know, I I know that that Clemson-Georgia game was a little bit of a clunker, but it was still a good game, uh, and, and it was fun to watch. You know, I, I had a good time, even though they blasted them and I expected them to. You know, peeking at that Alabama Miami game. It was, uh, that you know, was that, blasting. Yeah, I like yeah, that word. Yeah, uh, and I, and then you know the, the Virginia Tech North Carolina game. You know, obviously seeing for, former Duck Braxton Burmeister have success uh, and take down the uh, always overranked North Carolina Tar Heels was was a, a fun one. Um, Florida State. You know, that was a hell of a game against Notre Dame. I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Mike Norvell fan. I've been a big Mike Norvell fan since he was at ASU. Um, our old pal Ryan Bartow works for him down there at FSU now. Uh, I was really excited to see that he was able to be, because let's not kid ourselves, that program was a freaking disaster under Willie Taggart. You know, that, that was a pretty quick, I don't want to call it a turnaround because it's not there yet, but it's clear that they made a lot of progress, and that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure I'm missing a game or two because uh, I know I watched a bunch. You know, UCLA taking down LSU. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy for Chip. I think he's got his best team uh, that he's had in a long time. That defense is is looking good enough to win football games. You know, obviously we know that he can get it done on the offensive side. I think he's got his best defensive unit right now uh, that he's had, and they're a very good looking football team. Uh, maybe the best team in the conference right now. Who knows? And then. Uh, I didn't watch as much of it. I, I watched more of the end, but let's not kid ourselves. We at least got to mention the fact that, you know, Washington sucks and they <laughs> lost to Montana, to freaking Montana. I was waiting. Know, so. I was waiting for you to get there. I knew you would get there. I knew you would. Bring oh, yeah. Up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, let's I mean, what the Pac-12 North did on uh, this weekend was Terrible. absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. Just disgraceful. I mean, Oregon State, Washington State. Cal, I mean, come on, guys. Seriously, what are we doing here? Uh, you know, right now, I've always felt the North is far superior to the South in the Pac-12, and that has really been the case for the most part. But it looks pretty, pretty much the, the dead opposite now because UCLA, uh, USC uh, got it going and ended up uh, winning their game fairly well. Utah got got their game handled as well. So that ASU, you know, took care of business. So the South looks pretty good. 
uh, the North, uh, that looks really shaky right about now. Yeah, yeah. If you follow me on Twitter at Bagley Sports, you know I think Nick Rolovich is a coward, and, and I rooted against Washington State that whole night. I was thrilled by that game, and and uh, and I'm really intrigued to see what happens next in that program because I think it's a mess up in Pullman. As for the game in Seattle, that was a stunner to me. Not because I'm that high on Washington this year, but just because it's it's the same logic I had with Oregon. I, I just couldn't fathom a Pac-12 school losing to a school from an inferior conference, right? I thought no. Oregon would beat a Mountain West school or a WAC school any day of the week, and I thought Washington would beat an FCS school any day of the week. So kudos to Montana. That defense confused the hell out of Dylan Morris. I mean, some of those throws, it, it wasn't the accuracy. It was the decision-making on, you know, why are you throwing into double coverage and why are you throwing into uh, a scarlet and gray jersey instead of uh, instead of a home team jersey, right? Like, it was terrible. And, and they make enough plays on defense to hold on and win that football game. They'll remember that forever. And Washington just has to stew in it. That Jimmy Lake said he's going to own the West Coast. And then Jimmy Lake said, well, you know, we're not going to own recruiting. We're not going to get the same guys as Oregon, but we're going to get guys that are really, really committed. And they're going to, you know, develop and be great NFL stars. And now he has guys that lose to Montana at home in their season opener. So it's just a mess in Seattle. And I'm with you. The Pac-12 North. If you're George Klyovkov and you're trying to tell the, the powers that be at Fox and CBS and ESPN and NBC with Paramount that, hey, you know, you should, you should watch our teams and you should put our teams on your TV networks and, you know, get all these compelling matchups, you've got to be face-palming after what the Pac-12 North did on Saturday because it did not well, look Klyakov, I mean, he called out the Pac-12, I mean, on in Twitter. I mean, he basically said, we, we did not perform well. We, that is not acceptable. And I thought it was refreshing as hell. I know that it is fun to poke fun at the Huskies. I know that Duck fans love to do it. I have no problem with it because it's a healthy rivalry, and, and I think it's great for sport. But just looking objectively at Washington under Jimmy Lake, it – and and the comparison's been made, but it can't mirror what happened under Mark Helfrich any more than it does. It just and and yeah, I I I feel people actually like Mark Helfrich, so that's the biggest difference between him and Jimmy Lake. Nobody likes Jimmy Lake, but well, that's not true. Jimmy Lake loves Jimmy Lake, but nobody else does. But I mean, at least with Mark Helfrich, people liked him, and he's a good person. And I know the the guys that played for him. Uh, you know, still really, really appreciate him. But what people told me at that time within the program when Helfrich was there and things weren't going well, they could see what they called the cracks in the foundation. Okay. You know, football, football program is built on a foundation, you know, and, 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 and as we've talked about with Mario Cristobal, you've got a, you know, you've got academics and you've got strength program and you've got all these different elements that he's got to oversee. And that's, you know, that's your foundation of a football team. There's, you know, there's cracks in the foundation at Washington. You know, he's not recruiting well anymore. Uh, they recruited pretty well under Peterson. They're not recruiting well. Uh, his coaching hires are clearly highly questionable. Uh, the John Donovan hire that everyone questioned is 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 now looking 
really, really shaky at best. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of cracks in the foundation there. And it certainly, I mean, you start to wonder in my mind, I know everybody says, Hey, Jimmy Lake can't survive the season if they keep losing. And that might be the case if they lost every game, they won't. But, um, you know, the reality is unless he does lose every game this season, he'll more than likely have the opportunity to fire John Donovan at the end of the year. And he can be, you know, he can fall on the sword and then Jimmy will get another uh, year or two to either fix that program or continue running it into the ground. Well, I, I think it's it's key to point out, too, the difference between these two programs where I think if Oregon hadn't upgraded their profile in the, in the 21st century where Mike Bellotti gets you to a BCS Bowl and Joey Harrington's in the running for the Heisman, then you know, fast forward about five to ten years, and Chip Kelly has Dennis Dixon in the running for the Heisman and in the running for getting into the national title game and then getting to a national title game and then getting to another national title game. Um, then Mark Helfrich has that four-win season that Jared Denny calls you know, the year from hell that's always the most memorable year of his career. If Oregon hadn't had that, I think you you live with Mark Helfrich one more year and roll the dice again, and, and maybe he's still coaching here. I think at Washington, they don't have the expectations that Oregon has because they haven't had the, the, the rise that's Oregon, that Oregon's had in the past two decades. And so I think even if Jimmy Lake craps the bed this year, they probably keep him. Yeah, I think they'll keep him. He's got way too big of a buyout right now. Uh, you know, I know Washington can raise some money, but uh, if I recall correctly, it's like $20 million or something is the buyout. It's just, it's way more than, than I think they're going to, you know, pony up for. And just, here's the thing. You got to think about this and, and it's fun to poke fun at Washington, but you got to think about it just like Oregon, uh, you know, as it relates to the head coaching search. If, if Washington's going to fire Jimmy Lake, they better be damn confident that in who they're going to replace him with. It better be somebody that they trust that they know they can get and that they can afford unless that criteria alone is met. You cannot afford to get rid of Jimmy Lake uh, with that, with that massive buyout. Yeah. So, and, and it's the same thing for Oregon. You know, people think, Oh, Mario Cristobal struggles this year. Just get rid of him. Fine. You're going to get rid of him, but you better know who you're going to replace him with, or you better have a darn good idea. And it better be somebody you have a ton of confidence in. And that's, I mean, and, and that's the key. And that's, that's the hard part to me is it seems as though there continue to be fewer and fewer worthwhile head coaches in college football. And they're it's, it's, it's kind of a, a trickle down. I, I don't know that there are that many really, really good position coaches anymore because those are the guys that, you know, basically graduate into coordinators I'm not sure that there's that many really good coordinators anymore in college football. Uh, and those are the guys that are next in line to be the head coaches. It's a trickle down effect. What we continue to see is a lot of really good coaches, position coordinators, whatever, leaving college to go to the NFL. It's something that's been ongoing for the last couple of years. And the, the, the coaching pool is getting smaller and smaller because of all these things college football coaches have to deal with now recruiting has turned into a 24 7 365 day marathon uh you know the nil 
uh, you know, stuff that's going on uh, that they have to deal with. You got to, you still got to get your players graduated. You got to keep them out of trouble. There's so many things that a lot of these guys are leaving for the NFL. And I continue to believe that that head coaching uh, pool for college football, it's, it's getting smaller and smaller and the, the quality has continues to go down. It's something that you, you kind of have to pay attention to a little bit. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, time for five games. Yeah. Okay. Five games. We well, I, I guess I have to introduce this because it's been so long since we've done it. During college football season, we pick five non-Oregon games. No ducks. We know you're going to watch ducks and Buckeyes. We're going to pick five other games that we think you should watch this weekend. Five games. Back after, well, after a whole season's hiatus, five games we think you should watch. The way this works, I have five games, Justin has five games. We don't have the Ducks and the Buckeyes among those five games, because we know you're going to watch that. But here's five more we think you should watch, and we'll see if we uh, are of the same mind this week. Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. Um... I'll start things off with a game that you might have. I've got it down because I consider him a friend of the pod, and I'm I'm really eager to see him get his first win in his alma mater. That's Boise State new head coach and former Ducks DC, Andy Avalos. The uh, Smurf Turfers are hosting UTEP on Friday night at 6.30. You can watch that game on FS1. How about you? Didn't have that one, and I, I do like that call. That's a good call. Um, you know, I, I hope that Andy Avalos has success there at Boise. Um, and, I, you know, for me, I love a good old-fashioned Friday night football game, so that that that's a good one. I didn't have it. Uh, the, the first one I had was Iowa, Iowa State. I know it's a pretty obvious one. I'm guessing you have it, too. Um, I, I think Iowa State's going to beat the brakes off Iowa, but uh it's it's hard to count them out um that's a number nine versus a number 10 so it's a top 10 matchup uh that's a saturday 130 abc game so um it'll be the a nice little dessert after our uh oregon uh ohio state appetizer in the morning yeah i didn't have that one but i'm a sucker for rivalries so i get the draw i'll probably tune to it anyway uh second game for me is texas a&m colorado I, I really wish the scheduling alliance was active this year because I think we need more games like this where you have a school like Colorado that had some good moments last year and a school like A&M that's always got the recruiting buzz and maybe you get a good game. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, 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 I'm still not sold on Texas a and so that's where I'm at. I don't know that that's the number five team in the country. This will be not that Colorado will serve as the benchmark for that, but this will be a, a chance for me to kind of eyeball that game as well and just kind of see, you know, if, if, if they are legitimate or not. And it'll also, you know, be nice to see, you know, how well Colorado matches up because they've gone through, uh, you know, some coaching changes there and a uh, little different program now. So, um, I don't know why, but I've always kind of liked Colorado. Maybe it's just because I think Boulder is a really neat city, yeah. and I, I have I have never been to their stadium, but I've seen pictures, uh, and it looks like you know uh, Folsom Field's one that I would definitely like to visit. 
at some point because it looks like a great stadium. So I've always kind of like been a Colorado closet fan. Plus, I like Ralphie. That's the second best mascot in college football. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and live mascots, too. Like, he's the best live mascot for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, so that... So we both had that one. Okay. Uh, I, my next game is Cal and TCU, and I got to be honest, it was the last game I wrote down. I couldn't really come up with a fifth. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, again, it's a nice little out-of-conference game uh, for the Pac-12. I think it's important for Cal to obviously get a win. And, uh, you know, it, it would – not that TCU is some national name, but it would it would be, be nice for the Pac-12 to get a win there. So I wrote that one down. Yeah. Hey, Justin Wilcox, you know, any anytime you get to watch the uh, Junction City football legend take the helm again at Cal and, and see how they do, I think you got to do it. Um, I don't have that one on my list, but, you know, I always love putting Pac-12 games on. I do have a couple. I have uh, Texas at Arkansas. That's 4 o'clock on ESPN. Old school Southwest Conference rivalry. That's really the only reason why I put it down. Um, I, I, I like Texas in that one. I think they win that one. Utah at BY, uh, BYU, televised on ESPN, seven fifteen Saturday night. I like Utah in this one. BYU, obviously, new quarterback. Zach Wilson's playing uh, in Manhattan now. I just want to see Utah. I want to see Kyle Whittingham, and, and I want to see how good that program is this year because before I watched UCLA put on a running game clinic in the Rose Bowl, I had Utah outperforming them in the Pac-12 South, and and now I, I don't feel so confident about that. So I want to see Utah in a rivalry game, in a big game, and then my fifth game, Stanford at USC – Stanford looked awful. They looked awful. And and I, I my heart goes out to them because you know I love David Shaw. I think he's the most underrated coach in college football. You know, he, he really works with his hands tied behind his back, and he still does a good job. They were terrible. I don't see them getting much better. But let's see if USC can wake up. Because last Saturday I thought the Trojans came out really sluggish against San Jose State. Um, 7.30 kick on Fox. A lot of people like USC this year. I still need to see more from them. So that, that's another game I'm really excited to watch. Well, I have Stanford-USC, and in my mind, um, Stanford's not a very good football team. But like you said, David Shaw's a really good coach, and I think that's almost a bit of an equalizer. Uh, the coaching effect from Clay Helton to David Shaw you know, I, I think that they could compete in that game because of the way they match up stylistically. They definitely don't have the horses to compete with USC, but we've obviously seen Clay Helton do less with more. So I think that one will be a lot closer than most expect. Um, could be wrong, but I think it'll be closer than most expect. Uh, I have Stanford USC. The last game I have uh, is UW and Michigan. That absolutely circle that game. I think that's probably Duck fans' most second second most watched game this weekend. Uh, I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think I really need to go into why. I mean, obviously, you know, Washington losing their opening game, uh, Michigan should have their way with them. But I'm not gonna lie; I'll be curious to see if Jimmy Lake can you know somehow pull it together and manage a you know to look respectable against Michigan because 
that would honestly be the most Washington Husky thing of all time to go out and lose your first game to Montana and then end up beating Michigan. So, and I don't know, I'm, you know what, it kind of sounds chaotic and I'm here for it. Yeah. So, well, Jimmy's got to beat an FBS school before I put him on my five games, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, like it, it's funny for me as somebody that I've, I'm not a diehard duck fan. Like I, I do have, those embers of fandom. I remember watching Joey Harrington win the Fiesta Bowl and cheering, and we talked about that when we had Coach Pilati on the show. Um, I remember watching both of the national championship games and cheering. And you know, my dad met Marcus, so I love Marcus, always will. Um, but uh, it, it's funny to me watching diehard Duck fans just revel in the past week. Of, of what went wrong in Seattle. Like, they want Montana highlights. They want the Montana recaps. They want to read all the stories about Montana. And um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think Duck fans are going to tune in en masse and, and see if Michigan can put a whooping on them. Yeah, no, I, I think Duck fans will tune into that one. And, again, I, I'm here for the chaos. If Washington can somehow win, I, I mean, I know – I'm not a big Harbaugh guy. I've never been a big Harbaugh fan. I've always felt he's been overrated. So it just seems like the type of outcome for that game is that Washington will end up winning and we'll all just kind of be scratching our heads. Yeah. Um, okay. We, we've crossed the hour mark, so I know we're doing good on time. Obviously, we still got to do lock it in and, and share our predictions for the week. Um, yeah. Yeah, hey, let, let's talk about this Oregon-Ohio State game a little bit more. Lock it in. <laughs> Lock of the week. Back during football season, I, I introduced five games. I'm going to introduce this too. We pick one thing that we think will happen with the most certainty. And if you're new, Justin's lock will be correct no matter what. And my lock will be miserably hopelessly wrong i i don't know why this happens it happens every darn week um javon hall at least you're at, at least you're consistent well yeah i mean javon, <laughs> it was like it was like i i'm convinced you had javon holland like tipping you the playbook at times two years ago because every time you'd go oh javon holland's gonna have two picks this week lo and behold javon holland game of his life like it just it was you know it was it was so funny um, I wish I could bet on college football in Oregon. Um, lock of the week. I, I don't think Oregon wins, so I say this with a grain of salt. I think Ohio State wins, but I think C.J. Verdell gets at least 100 yards on the ground because I believe that that Minnesota game plan where they fed Muhammad Ibrahim, the experienced upperclassman running back who was so crafty on those zone runs, picking the right lane and and getting what he could, four, five, six yards a pop, I think C.J. Verdell can run that offense in his sleep. I think the Oregon offensive line, for all their flaws in pass pro, they are monsters in the run game, as we saw in the fourth quarter against Fresno State. I think they're going to have a good day on the ground. So lock of the week, C.J. Verdell, over 100 yards. I don't feel good about a Ducks W, though. How about you? So the you know, just so people know, Matt and I don't talk about our locks before, so we don't know each other. So I just found his out the same way you folks did. Oh, no. And oh, no. No, 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 it's close, but it's not like 
my lock of the week is that Anthony Brown will have at least two rushing touchdowns in this game. I think that's my lock of the week. And, and, and it's very much along what you just said. Ducks got to ground and pound the ball a little bit. We'll have to have success on the ground. My feeling is that they'll get inside the red zone, inside the 10 or five. And, you know, you'll see Anthony Brown, uh, you know, running some zone, uh, you know, some, some semi-option stuff. And I think you'll see him keep a couple and rush them in. So I think you and I are on a similar page there. So maybe that makes you feel better about your lock. I don't know. But, but mine is Anthony Brown gets at least two rushing touchdowns in this game. I like that. I like that. Um, Follow-up to that, I know that, that Herbert always kind of had the red light put on him of unless it's the Rose Bowl or the Pac-12 title game, we don't want you scrambling because we don't want you to take unnecessary hits. Does that mean Anthony Brown has the green light on Saturday? Yeah, you know, I think he does. I think, uh, I, uh, you know, Oregon has its best quarterback situation that they've had in a while. It's simply meaning that they do have some numbers. Um, you know, obviously Anthony Brown's a starter, but I think that you could make a case that Jay Butterfield could play and possibly help you win the game. I think you can make the case that Ty Thompson could play and help you win the football game. Maybe not against Ohio State, but probably against uh, 80% of the rest of your schedule. So I think that that gives the staff a little bit more confidence that they can run Anthony Brown uh, a little bit more because, as you'll recall, you know, with Marcus Mariota those final couple of years and with Justin Herbert uh, basically throughout his entire career, they didn't have anyone behind him. And it was pretty clear that if either of those players went down, uh, that would torpedo the season. So uh, I'm not saying that Oregon wants to run Anthony Brown injured. I'm just saying that they have a little bit more confidence that they can they have uh, a capable back behind him. And, and I think that's that's a great thing. Uh, and I think that that does green light uh, Joe Moorhead and Anthony Brown to run the ball a little bit more. All right. Um, I feel pretty good about this week's pod then. We're over an hour. We've covered all the bases that we cover during football season. Is there anything we missed that you want to talk about? No. I uh, just, uh, you know, again, appreciate everybody's support. Appreciate the people that have made the transition over to our on three platform. I know it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy on me, but uh just stick with it it's going to be a freaking awesome site and it, it won't take long to get there so and uh as far as the podcast goes if you're still listening i'll i'll keep trying to figure out the best and most efficient way to get the podcast up and onto as many uh platforms as i can possibly make it onto so stick with us and 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 it will all be better i promise all right scoop duck and hi-fi um share the pod on whatever pro platform you use. I use Apple. My wife uses Google. Everybody has the one that they like. There's a billion of them out there. Uh, I'm always thankful for the reviews we get, for the ratings we get, and um, I'm always thankful for the feedback we get. I can't count how many people reached out on Twitter, at Bagley Sports, or uh, posted on the Scoop Duck boards and, and reminded us, hey, we're missing our podcast. It's a part of our lives. I'm thankful that we're a part of your lives. I'm hopeful that we'll stay a part of your lives. And I'm excited for what we got cooked up this football season. All that said, thanks for listening, and go Ducks. I can do this now.